Welcome to Reynolds Wrap, the positive and practical podcast. We want to encourage you through spiritual insight from God's Word to maintain an authentic Christian life. Welcome back. It is so good to be with you. Always a great opportunity to spend time sharing with you a message from the Word of God and just trying to encourage you and build you up in your walk with God. Hopefully, uh, this podcast finds you in a place where God is using you and bringing about good things despite whatever thing else is happening around you. We're focusing today on basically crisis management, trying to find peace in a, in a very chaotic world. You know, as we read through scriptures, there's a lot of Bible terms that grab our attention. Uh, we've spent time in the past talking about love and joy, and we've talked about contentment and discipleship and things like that. And there, there is this sense that through scripture, God is trying to speak to his people a message of hope, a message of salvation, a message of redemption, a message that he is ever-present and he longs to help his people. And with that in mind, I want us to spend time thinking about what it means really to, to walk with God in a place of contentment. The gift of God's peace is extremely powerful. In fact, Paul says it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. That means that you and I should be able to have a a peace with God that defies explanation. That in my walk with God, I am so close in proximity to him, to his message, to his will, that I just completely wholeheartedly walk by faith in this trust that he has got my back. He's going to take care of me. He's going to fight my battles. And he is going to walk with me every step, no matter how painful, no matter how difficult, no matter how awful it might be. And I know that I'm talking to people right now that have been through some of the worst humanity has to offer. I mean, you've dealt with probably some people that are so difficult. You could do your own podcast. You probably should do your own podcast about how you've dealt with traumatic situations. Maybe it's with uh, a narcissistic spouse, or maybe it's with a child that just defies explanation. You cannot, no matter how hard you try, you can't discipline him um, or her. You Maybe you've got a parent that's so overbearing and so difficult that you just don't want to even go home sometimes. Or if you're out of the house, you don't want to go back to the holiday dinners. Or maybe you're at a church where it just seems like there is no peace, never has been any peace. Everybody's trying to step on somebody else and hurt somebody else. Or maybe you're at a a place of business, a workplace, or a school where there's so much conflict and frustration that you just not even sure you want to go back. We get to a point, I think, in our walk where uh, we do want to trust in God. We do want to have that blind walk-by-faith mentality, but because of all of the Uh, scenarios around us, all the people around us, and all the fear of what could happen in our day, we we don't even want to get out of bed. But what God is trying to do within his people through his Holy Spirit is to give us a sense of peace and of calm and of contentment and even joy kind of all wrapped up into a big, beautiful spiritual package so that no matter what we deal with and no matter when we deal with it, We'll be able to push through it, press through it, 
and see beyond to the other side. I look at Paul as an example, okay? Paul repeatedly talked about his walk, and he talked about the positive aspects, and he talked about the negative aspects. Paul basically lived in a time where uh, if you were a believer in God, and that didn't even mean if you were a Christian, if you were even a Jew in that day, the persecution was becoming so heavy against you because of your faith, you found it difficult to even talk about your faith in public. People knew whether or not you were a Jew or whether you're a Christian based on your eating, your lifestyle choices, but it was a very difficult time to live. And yet Paul would talk about things like he's pressing on to the goal, you know, he's ready to be poured out as a drink offering, he knows his time of departure is at hand. Again, he's, as we said a few weeks ago, he's quoting, uh, you know, Socrates and some of those thoughts. But he's saying, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to see the next phase. That, that idea of looking towards heaven or looking towards tomorrow seems somewhat uh, unrealistic to us. Because in a storm, all we want to focus on is the thunder and the rain and the wind and the flooding. You know, even just today, uh, I was, and I did a Reynolds rap earlier where we, I got a little buzz on my phone saying that there was a tornado warning in my area. And uh, I, I used to be a storm spotter when I was in the high school. Um, and we had a bunch of us uh, guys, and we would set with older guys in trucks if there was a storm coming, and we would storm spot. So they trained us what to look for, you know, things like that. I was raised in Oklahoma and Missouri, so I mean, we were used to having these late-night calls, and sometimes in the middle of the day, to go set and and watch for the signs of a tornado, okay? Well, you get to a point where you've lived through it, and you have, <laughs> we've slept through them. I know that's not good, but we have. We've, the storms, you know, are, are raging, and we would turn on the TV, and uh, we would see that, you know, it's it's not, it's just kind of a, a light. You know, they see the funnel cloud, and they don't, they don't see a lot of lightning strikes, and there's no hail with it, and we just go right back to sleep. And there were times the sirens went off, and if the wind wasn't blowing, we just... We're right back to sleep. And my aunt's house was completely destroyed once during a tornado. And so, I mean, we, we ought to have been probably a little more alert, but we kind of got to a point where we just we just didn't worry about it. So today, when I started getting these calls and text messages and friends calling me saying, hey, are you okay down there? I'm like, yeah. Like, what are you doing? Well, I'm I'm actually working on a video for church. You know, <laughs> like, you're on the internet. You're, you're yeah. What are you doing? I'm just... I'm just sitting here at my house, you know. You're not taking cover? No. Because I went out and looked at the sky, and I realized that it wasn't as bad as, as maybe it had implied. I don't even have television downstairs, so I didn't even turn on the TV. I just kind of – I know you may think, that's crazy, right? But I just – I didn't sweat it. And sometimes you get to a point where when you've been through a lot of these storms, you just kind of go, you know, it's just another storm. Uh, and, and oftentimes, too, the only reason why we want to get bent out of shape is because we get upset if God doesn't answer our, our prayers in the middle of a storm. That's why they woke Jesus up on the boat. As they said, hey, we got Jesus in the boat. Let's wake him up. He could settle this thing down. Now, these are fishermen. They were used to storms on the Sea of Galilee. You know, why did they have to wake Jesus up? Well, it wasn't that they were afraid necessarily of the storm and drowning because they, had, they do say that. But it's basically they wake Jesus up because they knew Jesus was in the boat. They forgot Jesus put him in the boat. If he intended for him to drown, that would have been a little odd because he spent whole, all his whole ministry training him for, for the next phase. But they're scared. They've been scared before. 
But instead of just praying about it and trying to write it out like they had done probably hundreds of times before, they go wake Jesus up. They're like, hey, you got to fix this. Now, Jesus does. He says, peace be still. But do you remember what he said to them? He said, you have very little faith, very little faith. And I think that is true of us when we walk with God, when we don't sense his presence, we don't find the peace that we want. We don't find that contentment. And when we do that to ourselves, we rob ourselves of some of the most precious moments we'll ever encounter. Some of the sweet, precious, kind, fun experiences we will ruin. We will ruin because we're too busy worried about it. You know, dealing with the virus and everything, and we, we, we've talked about this already before, is you know, all the, at the time that I'm recording this anyway, if you're listening to it in the future, years down the road, um, this coronavirus is just kind of taking over right now. Everybody's worried and everything. And for me and, and my boys, we're taking advantage of the opportunity to play at night, play board games, to have family dinners. I mean, every single night, my boys are like, you have never cooked this. I mean, I've always tried to cook, but they're like, you've never cooked this good. This is awesome. We had a full week of every meal. They just lapped it up. They loved it. And it's because we're spending time together. We're trying not to get out. And it is extremely beneficial. I read my Bible every day. Not that I didn't already, but I'm spending more time reading, spend more time praying, spend more time doing spiritual stuff. So you have to take advantage of those moments to, to keep the peace, to keep the contentment. Jesus found peace on the cross at Calvary. And he didn't find that peace by telling God to take it over and take it from him. He does ask for that in the garden. But he finds peace because... He ends up saying to the Lord, I know that ultimately your will is going to be done and it's finished. The job he came to do was going to be complete. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's wonderful. He trusts in the Lord and he watches as God does everything he promised to. I mean, Jesus is on the cross quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalm 22. He found contentment on the cross, even with those that had persecuted him. He was ecstatic that they had faith. That they were, you know, he was ready. He, he, says, he says repeatedly throughout the last days of his life that he was hoping that he says to Peter, I know you're ready. He says to his disciples, I know you're ready. Even in the, even in the, in the uh, uh, upper room, he realizes that they're troubled. He says, don't be troubled. And then ultimately when he's on the cross, he's looking at him. The ones, there's only a few that are there, but none of the 12 except for John. But he's told his father just a little while earlier these guys are ready. Read John 17. They're ready. They're ready. Jesus found peace and contentment by trusting in the will of God in his darkest hour. Paul's no exception. Same thing. Peter, no exception. Look at Daniel. Look at David. Look at the Bible examples. They found peace. That's crisis management. It's not you handling your business. You do your part, but letting God do his, trusting he's going to do it. And that's how we find peace. We find peace when we finally look to God and we let him handle it. Now, we find it, and we could do a whole podcast on finding it, but what are we going to do with it? You know, like the, the old song, what was it, the 90s song, Now That We Found Love, What Are We Going to Do With It? You know, now that you find peace, what are you going to do with that peace? Once you find that trusting in God is going to help you immensely, what are you going to do with it? There's so many Bible passages. Jesus talks about this in John 14, 
where he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. He's identified that his Father is great, that the Holy Spirit he's sending is great. And he says, so because of that, I need you to take what I'm going to give you. Take this gift of peace that I have delivered to you, the peace that surpasses all understanding. And then I need you to keep it. And I need you to realize that it's special. It's not like the world sees peace. The world sees peace as in, you know, basically compromise. You sit down, you form a treaty. I give a little, you give a little, and that's peace. No, God's peace is overwhelming. God's peace is always going to be right. And he said, once you have that peace, you don't need to be afraid. Fear should not dominate a peaceful heart. Once you have chosen to walk with God and let him handle your problems, handle your business, you do your part, let him do his. Once you, once you start doing that and you find that peace, you keep it by not letting fear rule you. He says, you've heard me say these things over and over again. I'm leaving, I'm coming back one day. God is going to set it straight. You know, have you ever, I remember as a kid being in classrooms where the teacher would leave and she'd leave one kid in charge. I got a really cool, funny story I'll tell one day, I'm sure, about being in charge of the second grade class at Varnum Elementary School when I was uh, living there. But I remember very few times that I get asked to keep track of who was talking. But that time I did. I got a piece of paper and she said, every time one of these kids talks, you mark a little, you know, a little slash mark. And at the end of the time that I'm out, I'll check and see who talked the most. Well, there are times in situations like that, or maybe on the playground or maybe at a sporting event where an adult is needed and you are looking around and there is no one there. And it is extremely frustrating because you're like, somebody needs to fix this situation. <clears throat> I remember one time at a high school dance, this was, I guess, my freshman or junior year, our, uh, our football coaches uh, required the captains or those that were the, the leaders of their teams, whether it be freshmen, JV, varsity, whatever, to go to the school dances to serve as, uh, I don't know what the title was, but we were representatives of the class. And so I had to go to several of those. I didn't, didn't really dance, just <laughs> stood there and by the wall. And I remember going to one particular dance and we had a, a situation where three of the students snuck off down to the old girls' locker room underneath the gym and were doing drugs. I don't even know what drugs they were doing. But at the time that they got busted, almost all the chaperones went down there to deal with it. And one chaperone went outside to wait for the police to show up. So for about an hour, at least a good 45 minutes, there was zero, and I mean zero, uh, adults in that that room. Uh, there was a DJ on the stage, but he was, you know, doing his DJ thing. So there was no supervision. And I can't tell you the amount of nonsense that went on. And I was, I was we were kind of hoping they'd cancel the school dances after that because it was just absolutely horrible. What there was fighting and, and all kinds of inappropriate behavior. And you're set, we're sitting around here looking, going, why, where are the adults? You, maybe you've been on a playground before where um, as a child, you had a kid bullying you and you were looking around hoping maybe your mom and dad saw. We were at a playground one time at Disney World. I think it was uh, it was Hollywood Studio. No, it was Epcot. And Isaac, my youngest son, was probably about eight years old. 
and he had um, gotten on the 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 big jungle gym with the prism style, you know, where you crawl all the way to the top. And he got up there, and it's hard enough to hold on to those things. And he got about three fourths of the way up, and this kid's—I didn't know—I think he had autism, but he was—he had an, an issue, and um, he was running around with a sword. It's one of those hard swords that you got over in the um, Anna and Elsa building, you know, or the Frozen building. So it's it look—it's pretty thick sword, and he was just whacking kids with it at the f- bottom of the prism. Well, he started climbing. And I could see what was about to happen before I could get there because the kid was, it looked like he was on something. I mean, he really did. He was just, he was, and so I didn't know what to do. I stood up and there, I mean, most of the parents were consoling their children because he'd whacked all of them with this big old sword. He starts making his way up the prism and uh, I jumped to my feet and took off towards the thing. I was trying to give Isaac a little bit of distance so he could play, you know, just have fun and not have mom and dad standing right over him because some kids don't like that. And as this this particular kid made his way towards him, he was Isaac was heading up to try to get away from him. But once you get to the top, you got a decision. How are you going to get down? So he would have had to have turned his body completely around to get down. So about the time the kid was about to reach him, I, re- I got to that giant prism and uh, it was taller than me. And the kid just starts whacking Isaac. I mean, just whacking him with this sword. And, of course, I'm like, hey, knock it off. Stop that. And, of course, he's not going to pay attention to me. I'm not his parent. And he has. So Isaac's trying to spin around and go down the other side. And then the kid starts hitting him instead of on the back and the side, hitting him on the head. So I took off up that prism. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that, like, you look back, you're like, there's got to be somebody probably filming this. It's going to end up on YouTube one day. And I grabbed his shoe. I didn't pull him off. I just grabbed his shoe and I shook his shoe. And I said, hey, knock it off. Stop, stop, stop. You're hurting him. And he turned around and what do you think he did? He started whacking me with it. And so I did what any good parent should do. I grabbed that sword and ripped it out of his hand because <laughs> I didn't want him hitting me anymore. And I said, get back down here and you can have it back. So Isaac was able to get down. He did not cry, but he did get misty eyed. And, you know, it was red and I mean, there was like, there was like 15, I'm not joking, 15, maybe 20 kids balling all around us. And so, um, I said, I'll give the sword. He starts kicking me, you know, on the leg. And I said, you can have your sword back. But I said, I want, I want to take it to your mom and dad first. And I said, where are your mom and dad? And he's just kicking me and kicking me in the shins and on the legs. And I said, knock it off, knock it off. But I was trying not to be too overwhelming. And so I kind of, if I held the sword out, he tried to grab it. And I said, I'll give it right back to you, but I want to I wanna give it to your parents first or show your parents. So we walked around that thing for, it felt like an eternity with him kicking me. It was probably only about two minutes. We walked around that whole playground and I couldn't find the kid's parents. So I went to a cast member and I said, hey, this kid is bullying every single kid on this playground. And, um, and I said, I don't know what to do. And he's just screaming. He's like, give me back my sword, give me back my sword. And so I said, well, I'm going to give it to the cast member, and she'll give it to your parents when she sees them. And he's like, yeah, promise. I want my sword. So I gave the set sword to the cast member, and I explained to her what had happened, and I turned around and walked away. Well, there was another man walking up, and I thought it was security because they had seen this kid beating everybody up on the playground. And no longer than I turned my back and went to sit down on my same seat, she just gave him the sword back. And I thought, what in the world is this woman thinking? And I had just sat down, and you know what he did? He went right back towards that prism monkey bars and started walloping kids even harder. 
And so I jumped up. And, of course, I mean, some of the other parents were thanking me when this is over with. But I went back over there. And I told them, I said, you just got in trouble for hitting kids. You better stop. Where are your parents? And, of course, they, nobody, nobody acknowledging him. It turns out there was a woman who was kind of setting off back behind in a seat and on a bench. And uh, she was talking to her husband on the phone. He was on the other side of the park. And she wasn't even paying attention to him. She hadn't seen any of it. She she had a view of the playground. And uh, and so eventually she's like, what's the problem? And I said, he has taken the sword and he is hitting people. He's hitting all these kids. He's hit me with it. Uh, and I gave it to the cast member. And I said, I just want you to have it. Because at that point I had taken his sword again. And so she's like, you know you don't do that. And you know what she did? She sat back down put her phone back to her ear and she gave him back that sword. And here he comes again back. This time he went around the back way. And so I just took off following in parallel, um, in the bushes, just staring him down. <laughs> so I'm going to end up taking that sword from him. And so he, he goes and he saw me and he took off to the other playground running. And so I thought, well, what's my obligation here? I thought, you know what? Those aren't my kids. I'm going to go sit down. So all of a sudden I sat down within two, three minutes, I hear crying and he's over there beating. He he probably hit 40 to 50 kids in the 30 minutes I was watching. So I finally, the moms and dads are like, well, what should we do? And I was like, well, we told the cast members, they won't do anything. So I got up and I went over there to that other playground and I, I, and I said, you've been warned. You're not supposed to do this. And so I went and got the cast member. They're like, well, if his mom's not going to do anything, we don't know what to do. I said, he's beating small children, some of them three and four years old with this sword. So anyways, he, um, he, he jumped up and uh, chased somebody and set his sword down. So I did what I thought I needed to do. I took the sword. <laughs> I ran off with it and I went back to the, I went back to the playground where I was at. And of course at that time, there's a lot of peace on our playground and they're just playing and happy. And, um, and so I did, I did not feel bad about that at all. So if you're listening and that was your kid, I owe you a sword, (laughs) but I took his sword from him. I felt like if he was going to abuse children and the cast members weren't going to do anything about it, I took the sword away. And so I set it down over there next to my bench and waited for the mom to come back because she had apparently chased him. I I guess he took off through the park. But um, I I set the sword there and uh, and he never he never came back. She never came back. So we got done and we got ready and we left and the sword was just left there. Um, When we were walking back by, I think we got like a drink and a hot dog or a pretzel or something. And we walk back by, this is like 30 minutes later, maybe 45 minutes later, and Isaac goes, that sword's still there. And I said, well, I guess he didn't come back for it. I said, go ahead and get it. If we see his mom in the park, I guess I'll let her have it or whatever. Of course, we never saw him and saw her, and he came home with that sword. So um, <laughs> long story short, actually a short story long, I should say, because <laughs> I've told this whole story. The only way we were going to find peace on that playground was for somebody to step up and do something about it. And unfortunately, we found that in our churches, our leaders actually encourage the conflict. And in some respects, they actually provoke conflict within their congregation. We see that sometimes in relationships, in marriages. You'll see there's one spouse who's just extremely uh, conflictive and, and just very negative and causes conflict in the home. Sometimes it's one child. It's it's extremely toxic if you got two parents or a parent and a child that like the conflict. But what do you do? You've got to find peace 
And then you've got to keep peace. You've got to find a way to keep it. Going back to the words of Jesus, as I said, he said, I'm going to leave you with peace. Peace is a, peace is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. And I think about what Paul said in Romans 15.13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's intended for us to be peaceful people, to be peacemakers. And we don't have to be harsh. You know, I'd have loved to have taken that sword and tagged that kid on the back of the legs like he was hitting the other kids on the on the monkey bars and stuff. You know, there there's there sometimes there is a uh, you know, if he were my kid, I'd have spanked him right there in front of everybody, but he wasn't my kid. But sometimes you've got to be the person who steps up and says, This is just isn't gonna work. This is this is conflict, this is painful, this is not gonna help. If we're going to have peace and contentment and joy here, somebody's got to step up and say, I'm going to be the leader and I'm going to be the person who is the happiest and, the, and the, you know, the person who's smiling and full of joy. That's got to be you. That's got to be me. Crisis management is about knowing that God is in control. And when good things happen, we promote it. We don't have to dwell on all the negative stuff. If you want to have peace in your life, you've got to focus on the things that are fruitful, not things that are toxic you got to think about the things that are good. Think on things that are noble, Paul says, Philippians 4, 8, 9. we got to think about things that are of good report, things that are praiseworthy, things that are positive. That Then, only then, can contentment fill your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have got to find a walk that is of, of contentment and of peace and of love if you're going to make a difference in the world. If everybody sees you as someone who's extremely harsh and negative and judgmental and critical, they're not going to want to be around you. You're not going to help yourself and you're not going to help other people around you. But we need that peace. Now, let me introduce another concept here. There's a difference between a peacemaker and a peace faker. If you're going to deal with conflict management and you're going to handle the problems that are around you, you need to first of all admit that there's a problem and then you need to hit it head on. You got to deal with it while you can. Grab a hold of this, the, the, the wheel and ride the storm out, but don't fake it. Don't pretend. These people on social media, you know, you look at their pictures and they're all just, oh, all the pictures are so perfect and all the dresses are so, you know, ironed out and no creases and the bows are just right and the ties are tied just right and everybody's got the matching shoes and they they're out on the beach and the sea oats and they you know they've got their everything all lined up so pretty and their their face is just at the right ankle and the sunset is just you know how many photos they took to get to that point they spent three hours of their vacation I had a friend tell me a story the other day. She was down at the pool area uh, in the subdivision where she lives, and there was a mom that walked down there with all of her pretty clothes, you know, and all of her mom and daughter in their matching outfits, and they've got their little beach bag and all that stuff. And the little girl goes to get into the pool, and she says, no, 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 we got to take some pictures first. They take 5, 10, 15 minutes worth of pictures. The little kid finally gets in the pool. Mom sitting over there snapping selfies in the beach chair, you know, and, and she's got her sunnies on and her beach towel just perfectly planted and the beach bag and taking a picture of her LaCroix water, you know, and her Ralph Lauren towel and her Jimmy Choo flip-flops, you know, and all these fancy little things. And she's sitting here in her, in her fancy sunglasses. And after she shoots a few photos of herself and her daughter playing in the pool, doing all of her hashtags on her Instagram, you know, pool day, mommy and daughter day, she looks over to the little girl and she goes, okay, we got to go. 
when they're there for just about 20, 30 minutes, enough for a photo op, and that's the way people do it. They like to put on a show. They like to pretend like there's all peace. And people who always post about their happy families and how wonderful it is and how great their spouse is and all this, be leery of that because sometimes those are the households that have the most problems. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just pointing out that I've watched people that you you look at the way they present themselves in social media, you'd never know that that household is, it's a minefield of conflict and of crisis. So we've got to be real. We've got to be peacemakers, not peace fakers. We can't pretend like everything's great when it's not. In fact, I have a lot of respect for people who come out and say, hey, look, I'm struggling. There's a difference between somebody like that and, and maybe somebody who's just looking for attention. And every five seconds, they're posting how their whole world's about to come to an end. And it's, I just can't deal. I just can't, you know. I just can't deal with this anymore. It's just over. It's awful. This, my whole life is about to end. You know, that's different. But if somebody comes out and says, hey, look, I'm struggling. I need prayer. I can appreciate that. But people who fake it, the hypocritical type mindset that people have, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to them because eventually they might believe the things that they type and they write. And it's not healthy to fake things. So be real. So dealing with crisis management, what do we got to do? We got to first, we got to find peace. We got to keep peace. And then we got to be peacemakers, not peace fakers. Trying to develop peace in our life and in the lives of others around us is being real. That's what this podcast is about. It's about being practical. It's about being positive. It's about being real with ourselves, letting God work through us to do good things, not trying to pretend that we're someone we're not. It's never going to get you anywhere, and you're not going to be happy and content with where you are in your walk if you're constantly trying to you know, compare yourself to the other people on social media who are out there pretending to be somebody that they're not. You're never going to be able to keep up. God loves you exactly the way you are. He's often not content with the things that you do, but he wants to live in you, reside in you. And his the times when he's the most pleased with you is when you're repentant and when you're uh, pliable, when you decide, I'm going to be a person that God can work with. I'm going to be the clay and let him be the potter. God's going to do some great things through you then. And let me say one more thing too before we close out this podcast. That is, when you are dealing with crisis, and I'm talking about significant crisis, don't try to weather the storm by yourself. Don't try to be the hero. Don't try to pretend like you don't need other people around you to help deal with it. Call on your brothers and sisters and your friends and family. Don't hesitate at all to ask for help because there are people that surround you, that love you, that are willing to be there for you if you just call on them and ask. In fact, many of them, you've been there for them in their lives and they, they are just waiting for an opportunity to re- repay the favor. Don't worry about what they're going to think about you or what they're going to say. People already say and do things. It doesn't matter. I mean, there are people who who talk bad about you anyway, even though you hadn't done anything wrong. So quit thinking about what everybody else is saying and and what they're going to think about you and just, just ask for help. Ask a counselor for help. Ask a minister for help. Find a good confidant and get some prayer. And then as you do that, as you're surrounding yourself with people who are going to encourage you, you might find that it brings an inner peace, which will be a whole lot more valuable than bringing peace in a situation or with a problem you're facing in your life. Because once you have that inner peace, the peace that only God can give, the peace that surpasses all understanding, then the next storm that comes, you'll be ready for it. Instead of trying to just constantly 
you know, weather the storms out every single one that comes. Maybe you need to batten down the hatches. Maybe you need to loosen up your sails a little bit. Maybe you need to have some training, uh, get ready for the weather by studying the lives of other people that have been through storms. Isn't it interesting that the Bible's full of them and they're there for a reason? Spend time in the Word of God and it'll change you. Let's seek peace from the Prince of Peace and let him guide us. Let him lead us and let him handle the crisis in our life. Let him fight the battles and know that he'll be with you always. We thank you so much for tuning into today's broadcast. Hope that you'll follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Keep coming back for original content on these podcasts and share them with your friends and loved ones. We also want to encourage you if you have any questions or want to direct something towards me, uh, any possible topics coming up in the near future you'd like for me to cover, you can write us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day and we want to encourage you to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus.